0: David, not impressed with Goliath, was impressed with God because God was large and in charge, not Goliath. God is infinite, eternal, unchanging in character, being, truth, love, justice, and hope. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. We are coming this morning to what is one of the best-known passages in all of Scripture, not just the Old Testament, and it's the narrative of David and Goliath. And it is a very long story, so we're cutting in more than halfway through the story itself, and we're coming to the climax, and I will explain a little of the context as we get further into our study this morning. David has been sent by his father to bring supplies to his brothers who are involved with the army facing Goliath. And David is more than a little upset with all that Goliath is saying. And so Saul, the king, hears of David's desire to push back against Goliath. And when he chats with David, young David says, I think I can take on Goliath single-handedly. And Saul says, well, David, you're a young man, probably in his late teens at that stage. Let's at least try out my armor. And that's where uh, we're breaking into the passage. Verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. "'I cannot go in these,' he said, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel." All those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, and it struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down. On the ground. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His holy word. Now, if you worship with us regularly on a Sunday morning, you will know that often at the beginning of the sermon, I will use a little humour to gently introduce a passage of Scripture we're going to look at, or I will share an anecdote or an email someone has sent me in the course of the week. But today is a little different, and I'm going to step away from that normal humorous introduction. In fairness, I tend to be the only one who thinks it's humorous, and you kind of smile and laugh out of sympathy, so thank you for that. But this morning is a little different, and it's different for several reasons. The first is this, at First Baptist Church in Sutherland, Texas, Sutherland Springs in Texas. Twenty-six people were executed in the course of a morning service. These individuals were moms and dads, grandfathers, grandmothers, children, family members. And it was absolutely awful. One family lost eight members in that hour. Can you imagine? what will go through their minds when they sit down at Thanksgiving in a few weeks' time. The pain is untold. The open wounds, the scars psychologically will last a long time. They may never, in fact, get over it. They will, in all probability, learn to cope with it. My question this morning is this what should we do? How should we respond? Not simply as a result of Sutherland Springs last Sunday, but five days before that, an individual as an act of terrorism rented a van and quite intentionally drove it into a group of pedestrians and killed eight people. On the 1st of October, Las Vegas, Nevada, one individual fired into 20,000 concert goers. He killed 56 individuals, 58 individuals, and injured and wounded 546 others. Names like Virginia Tech, when 32 were killed, Sandy Hook, Elementary, when 27, mostly children, were killed. The Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida, where 49 were killed. Mother, Emmanuel, Methodist, church in Charleston. Nine shot on a Wednesday evening Bible study. How on earth do you respond? What do you say? the overwhelming violence and mayhem and chaos that seems to stalk our land in unprecedented numbers. What do we do? Now, allow me, please, to make this point. Then we'll hold that question, we'll study David and Goliath, and we'll come back. The perpetrators of each of the events that I have mentioned These events were not the unplanned, spontaneous act of a madman, but these were intentionally planned in a premeditated manner. And the perpetrator had a mind so focused on evil intent, it is hard to describe. Those individuals were intoxicated. With their own self importance, intent upon carnage and violence, and were living in their minds some kind of fantasy about how to have power over life and death. Brutal, violent atrocities. What do we do? What do we say as individuals? What do we do as a church? What do we say as a nation? Now, hold that thought, and I promise we'll come back to it in the course of our time together this morning. As we come to David and Goliath this morning, the Philistines were a fairly aggressive tribal group. They dominated, if you're looking at the map, south, west, uh, Israel in its day. They bordered, in fact, close to ancient Egypt. They were forever involved with skirmishes on the border with Israel. Sometimes it became open warfare. And the context here is this that the Philistine army have marched north, the Israelite army have marched south to defend themselves, and Goliath steps forward and calls for a representative battle. In essence, it was this, rather than have two armies go at it, the challenge was, Goliath was the Philistine champion, Israel, if you bring forward your champion, then they can do battle, and the winner collects all. But what was also going on was this, that for the last 40 days, the context of the passage makes this clear, Goliath was not simply challenging another champion, but he was spreading and infecting everyone there with a volatile and lethal atmosphere of fear and suspicion. David, if you were with us last week, was anointed king in chapter 16. He has gone back to look after his father's sheep. His father gives him supplies and sends him to the front line and says, David, take these supplies to your brothers. And David arrives, and here is Goliath, large and in charge, spreading the infectious aims, objectives of fear, intimidation, and suspicion. And David hears him and says, what is, what is going on here? And his brothers, whom he's standing next to, I imagine at that time, dismiss David. In fact, his older brother says to him, David, go back and look after those few sheep your father have given you to be responsible for. You're not needed here. Go away. And in typical young brother fashion, David kind of holds up his hands and says, Can I even speak now? And you can imagine the youngest brother in the family kind of throwing up his hands in frustration and saying, Am I not even allowed to speak? And David says, I think someone should step up and deal with this. And I think I can deal with Goliath. And the rumor starts to get round and Saul hears of David And of course, he sends for David and says, now David, Goliath is an impressive individual, nine feet high. That's about the tip of my middle finger. He is athletic, incredibly strong. He has track record for being a violent individual. He's a professional soldier. David, none of my guys are willing to go up against him. David, here are you, what are you, 17, 18? You honestly think you can take Goliath in hand-to-hand combat? Really? Come on. David says, I think I can. And so Saul says, well, if you're willing, let's try on some armor. And he gives him his own royal armor, and it's clunky, and he can hardly move. And so, he takes it off, of course. He picks up five small stones and moves towards Goliath with his sling. My question is this. Why was David able to do that? Why was he so convinced that he could handle Goliath? David realized very quickly this spiritual lesson. If you're taking notes this morning, please get this down. Goliath was determining not only the conditions of the battle... But Goliath was determining how they were thinking and how they should respond. And the spiritual lesson there is this, if you are struggling in a situation, if circumstances are overwhelming, if they are intimidating you and filling you with fear, and you find yourself lying awake in the middle of the night solving problems that don't exist and dotting I's and crossing T's that aren't really there, and your imagination is running riot, how do you turn that off? how do you say, I am no longer willing to be intimidated with the situation? I'm no longer willing to let my mind run riot. How do you do that? Well, let me suggest this. Young David was spending the bulk of his days in the hill country surrounding Bethlehem. He was looking after his father's sheep. But it was in the midst of obscurity and isolation and loneliness that God was dealing with David. No one else was around. No one was there to pat him on the back and say, Atta boy, David, go for it. We are so proud of you. But God had scooped him up, held him close, and was strengthening and enabling David. And more importantly this, and this is the second lesson I want you to get. He was, as we said last Sunday, recalibrating David's deepest loves and affections. And his deepest love and affection was now on God. David was not impressed with Goliath. David was impressed with God. He knew what it meant to walk with him each day. He knew what it meant to be energized and refreshed and renewed by the presence and the purposes of God. He knew what it meant for God to put his hand on his life and shape and form him and fashion him and mold him. And when you have been there with God, when you intentionally build godly habits and disciplines into your life, very few things thereafter will intimidate. Very few things. Now, that doesn't mean for a moment If you are here this morning and you're wrestling with the early stages of dementia in a husband or a wife, and you don't know where to go next, that doesn't mean they're any less real. Of course they're real. If you have an adult child who never phones... Your relationship is at a distance. How do you deal with that? Of course it's real. But what you do is, Father, I can't cope with this. I can't deal with it. And I submit and surrender it to you. Please intervene. Please help me. Show me the way forward. If you're 15 or 16 years old, going to school, and the cool kids never speak to you, want nothing to do with you? What do you do when you're treated as if you're odd and you're a nothing and a nobody, and nobody wants to deal with you, and nobody wants to know you? Please hear this. That was David. That was David. But God had not forgotten David. David. He was doing the very opposite. He was holding him close, training, recalibrating his affections, his deepest appetites, his great longings and desires. It was God who was dealing with David. And David, not impressed with Goliath, was impressed with God because God was large and in charge, not Goliath. God is Infinite, eternal, unchanging in character, being, truth, love, justice, and hope. God impressed David. David was developing godly habits that enabled him to be constructively preoccupied with God himself. Not the circumstances he was facing, and certainly not Goliath. Certainly not Goliath. David realized that the circumstance, the challenge, the individuals involved don't get to determine how you respond. Maturity, growth, and the development of godly individuals is not the result of circumstance. It's the result of holy, healthy habits day by day, when you submit and you surrender all that lies before you to the purposes of God. That's what was going on here. David had learned, amidst loneliness, routine, mundane, everyday activities, to be profoundly dependent on God. Now, as you can imagine… Fears, worries, concerns do intimidate us. They thrive off of fear, concerns, but we can take them, we can submit them, and we can leave them at the Lord's, in His presence, and say, Father, you need to help me to deal with this. And we submit and surrender, growth, maturity follows. And let me pause for a second. We started this morning by looking at the chaos and violence in Sutherland Spring, Texas, last Sunday morning. And I tried to make the point that as people, we underestimate the power, significance gravitas of sin, and I think we do. But there's another side to that same coin when we consistently underestimate the power, the gravitas, and significance of the love and grace of God. This past week, my Facebook page Family in Scotland and family in Australia are sending me emails and texts and saying, what is going on with these mass shootings and violence? What is happening? And across the world, people are looking at us as a nation. And they're beginning to say, that is what defines them. That's life in the United States today. And as Christian people, we stand as tall as we can. And we say this, that is not what defines us. We'll never be defined by evil intent and chaos and violence and murder and mayhem and chaos. Never! We will will be defined by the action of the first responders and the EMS who in Las Vegas, Nevada, ran into the line of fire, ran into the line of fire to save lives. The police officers in Texas last Sunday morning could not get there quick enough to deal with what's going on. That's valor. That's heroism. That's what defines us. We are so much better than that. That's who we are. Our national character is refined and defined by who we are. And we, the people, have to take a stance and say, enough, culturally, this behavior is utterly and entirely unacceptable, and it has to stop. We need to advocate to our political representatives and anyone who will listen and say, enough, enough, we can put a man on the moon, but we cannot control this. Come on, we are better than this. Our focus is much greater than being defined by this. The following morning after the Las Vegas shootings, NPR ran a story, and at the end of the broadcast, this is what they said. They said, this is a developing story, because the story was not complete. Our nation's story is not complete. This is a developing people, a developing nation, a developing country, who stand foursquare for righteousness and holiness and character who love each other, who serve each other. And this is a cancerous growth on the face of our nation, and it needs to stop. And how do we respond? We respond initially with prayer and crying out and saying, Father, enable us, equip us, take action to stop this. Allow us to be the people of God, God, who say and mean it, in God we trust. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this remarkable passage of Scripture. And help us, please, in this coming week to be defined by your profound dependence on you. Father, shape us, mold us, fashion us in a Christ-like manner. Touch our nation, call us to account, enable us to understand we are better than the evil and the violence we have seen recently. Help us to be a godly nation, Committed to you, serving you, treating life as sacred. Father, bless us, please lead us, guide us, direct us as a nation. For in God The Music and Worship Arts Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Greenville presents Christmas at First, December 2nd and 3rd in the Sanctuary, featuring a full orchestra and soloists from the Metropolitan Opera, New York City Opera, and regional favorites. Tickets are available for $10 per person or $20 per family. Visit firstpresgreenville.org for details.